Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in radio. Oh, in finance. Excuse me. Messing it up. I'm looking at my show notes. I'm getting ready. I'm making sure I'm on point here. And I'm messing up my own catch line. Anyway, great to be here today. I have a great show planned for you. A lot to discuss. It's not, you know, I mean, not a lot really happened. But just some, just some fascinating, I just continues, I you overuse that word. People are like, you know, I think I'm devaluating it. Zach, everything can't, I just, I, I, I don't think there's much about this market that I don't find fascinating right now. Um, you know, setting aside the valuation discussion about NVIDIA, it's amazing to watch a company that large, <laughs> You don't grow revenue and profit that fast. I, I I think it's probably incomparable to anything we've ever seen. That's fascinating to me. The position that the Federal Reserve in is fascinating to me. And we're going to talk about that more in the whole, you know, blast off and uh, the catch or what we need to be careful about considering the blast off. We're going to talk about that. That position that the Federal Reserve in, just because, um, well, for 15 years. Right. The answer to every single problem has been to print. You know, think of the European debt crisis. Right. Uh, think of what was it? The little the oil crash in 2014. They didn't really have to print because of that. Um, but, you know, they're running QT the whole time, you know, Q, excuse me, QE the whole time. But you've just seen it over and over and over. And, you know, you go back and look at it, you know, it's it's. You know, from Operation Twist, where they were trying to, what was it? they were trying to, they were trying to, um, what were they doing? They were selling off the front end, and buying the long, long bond, or maybe it was the inverse. Anyway, it was, it was, a, it was a, it was a strategic form of QE. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we know about the COVID interventions. I kind of see that what happened at the end of 2018 is an intervention, right? They were starting to get off the zero bound as far as interest rates were concerned. And then the market freak out and they reverse course, right? Um, and so we know what the playbook is. And what I've argued long, long for a long time about the Fed is if you think, you know, we can focus on the printing side of what the Fed does, right? Printing stuff and then quantitative easing, stepping in and buying it. And then, you know, in COVID, um, you know, in my opinion, going off the rails, Technically, they weren't breaking the law, and and I I wrongly argued at the time that I thought they were, and I still think there's more nuance there. I think it's I, but look, they regardless if there's nuance there, they dance through the nuance. So I can't sit there and say that they broke the law by buying fallen angels and CLOs and all the other stuff that they bought during during COVID. But my my point is is that we know the playbook, and I've said this for years, right? When when something bad happens, when something untoward as far as they're concerned occurs or takes place, they're not going to sit back and let people reap the whirlwind, right? They're, it's just they're, they're not going to do that. And, and the reason why we argue constantly and have for years that they'll continue to do that is because I think, I think a simple way to think about what the Fed and central banks have been doing is basically just muting out macro forces, right? That's the, that's effectively what they've been doing, you know. So a macroeconomic wind, or you know, and when I say macro, you know, uh, oil going up to one thirty is a big macro headwind. Right? It's a tax on everybody, right? So that's what I mean by a macro wind. And anytime something has happened, whether it be defaults or whether it be you know, whatever, COVID, what do they, right? Printing in one way or the other. Well, they didn't last year. They were, yes, they did, right? Yeah, they raised rates, but then they launched BTFP, the bank term funding plan and pumped another $350 billion liquidity into it. So my whole point is saying that one bailout or one intervention begets another, because what you've really, what all you've done when you print over something is you've just 
kind of morphed the problem and pushed it down the road. But the issue is then, right, every everybody go, oh, it's back to normal. Well, yeah, but that's another kind of fake influenced part that you've jacked the market up on. And my point is, is that one of the primary, re- I think it's one of the primary reasons, and I think innovations in tech and all the cool things that have happened over the last 15 years would have surely driven things higher too. But I'm just saying, I, I, I think it's really hard to ignore that a big story or a big factor over the last 15 years has not been central bank involvement. And like I said, just at a principal level, effectively what they're doing is right pushing off real world consequences. And so in a, in a philosophical way, if you think about it, by definition, you're making a system increasingly brittle over time, right? Because it's not having to defend itself. It's not having to manage. And look, I, I, will, I will go down believing that this played a big role in what happened with banks last year, um, you know, and the need to put out that bank term funding plan in the first place. Now, I think the biggest part of it was the fact that they didn't have a choice, right? Big because of zero, zero zero interest rate policy, the banks didn't really have a choice to buy anything else, right? I mean, they got to have bonds, right? They got to do that, right? So, when you artificially drop rates to zero, you're going to have a lot of like a lot of low yielding debt. Just is what it is. So. That was certainly, you know, I, again, I, that was the driver of the issue. But, but the funny thing about it, and like I said at the time, this is not a surprise. Like, they, they, right, like a risk manager at a bank, if you've got that much duration on your balance sheet at that low a rate, the minute inflation picks up, you should you should be cued. Like, I mean, right? Like, if you're a risk manager at a bank, what are you paying attention to? Right. The value of your collateral is kind of a big deal. So I but I but 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 literally when, when you have when you have a central bank that has the ability to print money and just paper over every problem, it doesn't shock me that at the end of that you see big lapses in risk management. And so this goes again into what I'm saying is that the more and more they mute these real world ramifications, the more and more they mute these real world wins, the more brittle they make the system by default. Now, not everybody, right? There were, there were some banks that were doing the, the, a good job. There were certain banks that were prepared for that, you know, that it didn't hit them at all because they saw it coming and they did their job, right? It's, I think we got to be careful. Oh, it's all bad or it's all good. You know, there's obviously nuance in all of these discussions, but um, it's fa- anyway, so, so we got here by me talking about how fascinating I think it all is. And I do think it's fascinating because in our opinion, you're coming up against somewhat of a wall here. And we're going to get into this a little bit later and talk about it at greater length, but it appears to me, and, and, and again, this isn't new if you've been listening to the show, but it appears to me that. The, the Fed is in a bit of a quandary, or or, or the, it certainly looks like they're going to be. And the thing about the commercial real estate issue is I just don't really see anything that would flip it other than drastically lower rates, which the Fed can't do right now. I mean, you wouldn't think they could do it when you look at the stock market, when you look at inflation ticking back up again. What is it now, three months in a row? Which is not like, look, look, I'm not sounding the alarm bell, but, you know, a year ago when they did BTFP, we were sitting there going, great, there go the interest rate cuts. You just, you just washed them. You just sterilized them. You just pumped all that money into the system. And you just sterilized those rate cuts. And here we are. And, and again, why that was scary at the time and what we were advocating at the time is just take your medicine, jack the rates, you know, throw a little bit out there, but let this hurt a little bit. You need the economy to slow down. You don't want a bunch of banks to blow up, but you can do it in a way where you were injecting less liquidity. You could have limited banks. You could have looked at their balance sheets and said, okay, you can do it this much. Because then, surprise, surprise, it came out banks were taking advantage of it. And I don't know. I, I Look, I don't know exactly how they're taking advantage of it, but I feel like I've got a pretty good hint, meaning let's go take a long shot on duration. And if rates move against us, we could just sell them right back at par value and try it again. 
I'm assuming that's probably what it was. Maybe, maybe there's restrictions there, but I know one of the reasons they pulled it was because they said banks were taking advantage of it. And I, that's kind of, it, I mean, it would allow you to take some good, pretty good gambles on duration, right? If you can turn around and just sell it back at part of the, to the BTFP. Also like take some leverage shots at it. So may, maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe they weren't, I don't know. Um, I want to get Steve. I was supposed to have Steve. I was trying to get where we were supposed to have Steve Mirren on again, PhD economist from Harvard that worked at the treasury. Um, and hopefully we can get him on back in the next week or two uh, to discuss that because he knows a lot more of these mechanisms. But anyway, let's, let's continue in the market update here. So obviously the big story of the week was NVIDIA that to me, I'm going to use the word again, fascinating. Why um, guys, you know, you're living in a strange environment where the most important thing for the entire market in a single week is one company's earnings. People are like, well, Zach, but it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get all that guys. But as a percentage of the entire economy, we're not talking about a very, very big slice. Now, that being said, NVIDIA's market cap is now what, what is that? 8% of the entire size of our economy, which is staggering. Um, but make no mistake, even when guys like us, we, we, we hear me sitting there saying it's overvalued. It is. But man, like I said, the growth is unbelievable. Again, fascinating. We're living in an extraordinarily unique time. I, you know, and I, I would actually, I could have Chase look that up at, on, on our Bloomberg terminal. He's got to know, or it's got to be on Bloomberg. Everything's on Bloomberg. But um, I would like to know if there was ever a company that was in the, let's say, the top 20 in the S&P 500. Uh, that went on a revenue and profit ramp like that in that short a period of time. I, I've got to believe no, right? So it is pretty incredible. At the same time, it does hearken you back to some words of Uncle Warren, right? Where, you know, the old adage, there's no such thing as bad assets. There's just bad prices, right? Which you'd have the greatest asset in the world. And if you buy it for too much, not a good investment. You have the worst asset in the world. You buy it at the right price. It could be a phenomenal investment. And that's the issue that I've got is you just look at so many of these, even great companies like NVIDIA, you just look at it and go, again, uninvestable. But at the same time, the quarterly results were incredible. You're just playing with fire. And I just think there's so many other ways. And it's really weird how people do this. And it's why we get hurt in investing. They're like, I've got to be on NVIDIA. Guys, this is a long-term game, Right. And, and I will just tell you, there's going to be periods of times it's not fun. It wasn't fun for us last year. Sitting on a bunch of value stuff, paying dividends, it just didn't move all year while the market's having a party. It's not fun. Why do you do it? Because you know you're doing the right thing in the long run. You got to acknowledge you don't know what the long run is, right? But, you know, it's and, – and it – like if you're listening to this at home – and you're playing, you know, you're playing with those names. Just know you do it long enough and you're going to get hammered. Just that it's the way it works. And everybody thinks they're going to get out in time, you know? And if you're a professional investor and you've got a disciplined approach and you've got, you know, risk management strategies in play and all that kind of stuff, then you can play with it. We're playing with some of it, but man, we got a net underneath that baby at all times. And we've got our parameters set up and we've got the amount of risk that we're willing to take. And I just think you guys... Need to be really and and it, part of it is just the main the manic this the, this this mania type feel that you get in this market you know these companies I mean go look at the range Nvidia traded in today guys the, the, these things are not healthy and just because they're not healthy like we said there have been a lot of things that haven't been healthy in this market for quite a while because it's health, unhealthy doesn't mean it's about to implode at the same time I will tell you that that I think if you look at today. And you take it out five, seven, ten years. In all three instances, whether we're looking on a five-year look back, seven-year look back, ten-year look back, the thing I would bet you dollars to cents is that far better investment was. And guys, and remember that's that's the game of investing. As tempting as it can be today to look at today, as tempting as it can be to be concerned and, and do what everybody else does and get sucked into that short-term view. You have to think that it's the only edge that you have. When you look in an environment where it looks like people are going crazy, and again, you know what? Maybe we, we can always be wrong. You have to have that always present level of humility or you will get run over. Maybe we could be wrong. 
But I, you know, just when I've got 90 year old clients calling and saying to liquidate their portfolio and put it all in NVIDIA, guys, that doesn't happen outside of bubbles. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. But still fascinating, right? Now, let, let's, let's do a little valuation. You go, Zach, you say it's overvalued. And guys, here's the problem with it. And, and this will probably be, you know, look, I'm guessing here. But I, I, this will probably be how it, how it plays out would be my guess. The issue you've got with a company like NVIDIA is that when it is that, and again, I'm not saying they can't grow into it, but let's first look at how expensive a stock like NVIDIA is, okay? You currently have a $2 trillion, slightly better than $2 trillion market cap on NVIDIA. Okay, so what this market what that price is telling you, if, if you're looking at it and going, okay, what is, that, what is that price forecasting over the next 10 years? Here's what that price is forecasting. That over the next 10 years, they will maintain their monopolistic like 55% margins. Why do I say monopolistic? Because margins are only sustainable at that level if you're an incredible niche player. I was explaining this to a client yesterday. There's a company that I've always kept an eye on it, hoping to buy it at a discount. Um, and I'm not going to say the ticker because I, I have not looked at it. I don't want people going out there and buying it or doing anything else like that. But they make fragrances, right? So like I believe they do the smell of Nordstrom's, right? And so these companies will go to us and go, hey, help us get a signature smell. They'll make them a fragrance. And they will make it so that fragrance can only be used that by that company, but they retain ownership of it. Right. So talk about locking a client in. Right. You, you, you associate that smell with your store and that's part of your brand. You got to order that sucker every year, no matter what. So anyway, there's niche players like that that can maintain extraordinarily high margins. Dolby Digital is another one of those. Right. Dolby, you know, you see it on all your electric and, you know, DVD players and all that. Kind of, well, DVD, but does anybody buy those anymore? DVD players. There's a, there's a blast from the past. Um, I shoot, I still remember laser discs, uh, which I just thought were so cool when they first came out. I was just blown away. It's like Star Wars. Um, anyway, I get I get off base. So here's where here here's what Nvidia would need to do. Nvidia would have to maintain those monop- or maintain those monopolistic fifty five percent margins for the next ten years, while ten xing their revenue which would mean they'd take it to about 600 billion and keep in mind last year about 587 billion dollars where the chips were sold internationally total now am i going to sit here and tell you that that's impossible no what i will tell you is that that is a best case scenario from where we sit today i could be wrong but that is a extraordinary and to sit there and here's the issue. Here's why I call it uninvestable. It's not because I'm sure it's going to go down. It's because I can't extrapolate price out or I can't extrapolate earnings out for 10 years. Nobody can. You have no, I, I mean, that basically is to assume that they will own the entire AI chip market and that ain't going to happen. It's just not. For a variety of reasons, there's going to be competition and maybe NVIDIA can stay ahead of the pace. I just, yeah, I, it kind of reminds me of Tesla a little bit, like this assumption that there won't be competition, but you know there will be. And look what that competition's done to Tesla's margins. Why would this be any different? You know, so I just, I just, again, not telling you to sell it, certainly not telling you to short it, not saying anything. I just think you get into markets like this and unless you're prepared, and look, this isn't fun to say as a professional money manager, but unless you're prepared to underperform, and hopefully we don't, hopefully you don't, I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but unless you're prepared to do that, you get into environments like this and 100% in the time in the past, if you weren't prepared to underperform for a period of time, you got run over and bad when we looked at setups like this in the past. 
So now at the same time, the other tough part about it is there's a ton of value sitting around out there that's ridiculously cheap. The problem is, is that everybody, especially now in the short run, looks at it and goes, oh, it's a bad stock. And I go, why? And they go, because you bought it six months ago and it's down 3%. And you're like, yeah, but it's worth three times more than it's currently trading for. And they're like, yeah, well, you know, it hasn't gone anywhere, right? Everybody becomes short-term thinking. And that's the problem. The stuff that's going to make you the most money over the next five to 10 years is the stuff that nobody wants because it's not working. And that's where, you know, that's where the discipline and risk management comes in. And it reminds me of something. Thank God this hasn't happened to us yet. But it does remind me of something that I remember Jeremy Grantham saying. Famous hedge fund manager, GMO, incredible track record, brilliant guy. Fascinating guy to listen to. There's that word again, fascinating. But just a really interesting guy, a lot of wisdom, a lot of experience, been through all the wars. And he, you know, he had an old saying, he said, listen, if you're doing this job right, you should lose 30% of your clients at the top of, at the peak of these bubbles because you're not participating and ready yourself because regardless of what they say and regardless of why they came to you and regardless of usually when you have a reputation like we do of being like that saying, no, listen, we ain't chasing noise, right? That will be seen as bad. That will be seen as a failure in a bubble because everybody else is making more money. You know, it's like Warren Buffett, 1999, Berkshire Hathaway had blowout earnings. I believe they set records for both profit and revenue in the year of 1999. Could be wrong on that, but that's my recollection. Uh, I mean, everybody was doing pretty good in 99. But um, in that year, well, they're posting record profits, record revenues. The stock's down 25%. Why? Because everybody was selling it to buy tech. And and it was the exact opposite of what you should have done because tech, you know, obviously got blown to pieces and Berkshire Hathaway went on a monster run. And, but that's a good analogy, right? Think of how many managers were fired for holding Berkshire Hathaway over 1999 and over the next, you know, eight, nine years, it ended up being one of the, you know, just a killer, a crusher. But this is what makes bubbles so dangerous is they they move so much over short periods of time that that FOMO sets in and people just can't stand it. And so if you're looking at this environment and you're going, oh man, it's getting crazy. You must steal yourself. Do not use the market as your only benchmark at times like this. This is all about managing risk. And if you don't know what that means, you're like, Zach, that sounds good. What do you mean managing risk? Well, guy, look, I, I know people that have learned to do it on their own. I, I'm not one of these guys that's so esoteric and so out there, you know, where you're like, you know, we do something that is magic that nobody can do. Well, no, no, I'm not saying that, but we have dedicated our lives to it. I think that probably gives you an advantage in any field. But if you're sitting there saying, what do you mean by manage risk? You know, that should be your, that, that should be a cue. Give us a call. We'll explain it to you. It doesn't obligate you to become a client. And, and listen, I'm going to tell you right out of the gate, guys, if our bubble scenario is right, we're, we're going to underperform the market. I hope by not a lot. I guess there's a chance we could out, but probably not. Why? Because if we're right about this bubble scenario, fundamentals don't matter. And in that world, we're challenged, right? But investing is about the long haul. If you still believe that, if you still believe you need some risk management, give us a call 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. We'll be right back after the break. Stick with us. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. How many times in recent memory has your financial advisor not reacted to current events and also not made a change in your investment portfolio? Now, think about all the volatile events during that time that have threatened your retirement. That's Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Todd, we talk about it all the time. Risk management. It's our number one focus. We actively manage every portfolio daily, looking for opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. 
Let us show you how Bulwark's risk management strategy can protect that retirement you've worked so hard for. This is exactly why you need Zach and Bulwark Capital in your corner. You only get one retirement. Learn how Bulwark does it with their free common sense investing guide. Call 866-779-RISK or simply go to knowyourriskradio.com. That's 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advisory services offered through Tech Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. All right, kids. This is the segment. And if you guys have been listening to the dots, I don't mean to just repeat some of this stuff. But obviously, like the weekend show is kind of a summary, right, of what we discussed over the week and, and in the dots and all that kind of stuff. But the blast-off scenario that we're talking about, why are we talking about this, as crazy as that sounds? As a guy that is always talking valuation and discipline and fundamentals and risk management, why are we talking a blast-off scenario? We're talking a blast-off scenario because the similarities of this setup at this point, now obviously things can change, but at this point, it's eerily similar to late 98, right? To the height of the tech boom, right? Height of the tech boom, I believe you were growing at somewhere in the range of three and a half to four and a half percent. Look at us today, according to Fed stats, growing about four, four and a half percent. Pretty good comp there. Fed funds rate 98 was five and a half. Fed funds rate today is five and a half. That's incidental. That doesn't really mean anything, but another similarity. 98, you were, you know, four fifths of the way through a tech boom. I would think we're at least four fifths through it now if we're not. I don't know, but right, middle of a tech boom, clearly that was internet driven. This is AI driven and te- and social media, right? So the social media uh, renaissance, or not renaissance, but, you know, explosion is a lot of the reason that we got here. Cloud computing, right? Tech. So we're in the middle of a tech boom and the crescendo seems to be this, this AI deal. So, so. Remember, and remember, bubbles aren't always fab. Like, there's always a core of truth to any kind of bubble. And then the problem is, it just gets extrapolated. Right? So, one of the reasons that this is such fertile ground for a bubble is people have seen the NVIDIAs. They've seen the Teslas. They've seen the Bitcoins. So, that becomes the new horizon of possibility, right? That becomes what we're looking for in investments. What are you looking for? I'm looking for the investments that four that four to six acts over the next two to three years. Well, good luck with that. Okay, because that is not a normal pursuit and that does not normally occur. And when you're looking for things like that over a long enough, if that is your criteria, you're going to, you know, eventually you're going to get hammered really hard. But the blast off scenario here, what I'm saying is, you have these elements of a bubble. We've did a show before anatomy of a bubble where we kind of walked through all these stages. But you got you to have that core, right? You got to have that real. Like think of the internet. There are all these crazy pre-revenue companies trading it wild. But, but think about it, right? What they were forecasting was correct. They were just a decade, decade and a half early. And when you're that early, right? There's the old adage, if you're, if you're early enough, it's the same as being wrong. And a lot of those companies went under. And that's the problem, right? And you're seeing that happen with NVIDIA. What do I mean? Companies that are even have the slightest correlation or claim to have a correlation to AI or to NVIDIA are rising rapidly on NVIDIA's numbers rather than their own. Now, some of those companies may very well benefit, but I will flat out guarantee you there's going to be a lot that are going up that shouldn't. It's just, it's just, right, the, the investing public sees it correlated somehow with NVIDIA and AI and then boom, right, it goes through. So, but this, this so you got all these, re, got this real stuff, then on top of it in this scenario, and this is a little bit unlike then, which, which is one of the reasons why I think it could be even crazier. The fiscal situation was very different. In 1999, right? 1999, we balanced the budget. Today, we're running two. We're running deficits that are virtually seven percent the size of the economy. We're running two point one, two point two trillion dollar deficits. And remember, when that much government spending is going in, I kind of view that as gasoline. 
right? So in that way, I kind of think you could make an argument that there's even more fuel to the to an upward explosion in the market than there was in 98, 99. But here was the real kicker. I also believe in 98, 99, you had inflation trailing up, like it wasn't out of control or anything, but you had inflation trailing up. So the setup, if you look at economically, the growth rates were similar. Markets were being driven by very similar dynamics and being driven by tech, right? The new emerging technology at that point was internet. Today, it's AI. You had these companies at the top that were seen as unbeatable, the Microsofts of the world, the Cisco's of the world then. Now it's Microsoft again trading at even a steeper valuation than it was back then, at least on a price to sales basis. They're a behemoth too, throwing off unbelievable amounts of profit. profit. But, you know, you just, the, the similarities are so striking. And here to me is the other one that is so striking. And for those of you that are listening to this, what am I pointing to? Well, in 98, you, you had already come off a really awesome, big market run, again, driven by, you know, internet and all that other kind of stuff. And then in 99, the NASDAQ doubled. Boom. Right? People, <laughs> home gamers, you know, there were stories. I remember one of the jobs I did working my way through school was selling boats. And one of the guys there, nice guy, uh, was there and got talking about his life. And in 99, early 2000, he was set to retire. And he told himself that when his 401k or his IRA, maybe it was IRA, Hit a million bucks, he was out, and he's going to pull the trigger. Well, Zyra got up to a million, million one. He didn't pull the trigger, and he ended up sitting on two hundred and fifty grand. And he was had to he was selling boats. That's that's what happens. That's the destruction, right? He took like an eighty percent header on his portfolio. No risk management. People are like, well, I'd never sit there and take a loss. Yeah, you would, because you've seen it happen so many times. That's the other thing. You've seen these things plummet and you always see it. People have always seen them come back, right? That's where buy the dip. That's why it became such a popular mantra over this whole move. BTFD, right? Buy the uh, dip. I didn't make it up. That was, you know, right? That was the, that was the parlance of the time, if you will. So, um, but what is, what is the most eerie to me, the biggest eerie sim- part of this is that when you went back and looked at 98, the economy was in no way in any shape or had any need for a rate cut. But the reason they cut was because long-term capital blew up, which was a big hedge fund run by like a bunch of the quote unquote, is the world's smartest hedge fund at the time. And these guys had a way to beat the market and they were so brilliant that they were not going to get caught. Well, you know, fast forward two or three years, they blow up and it almost (laughs) it threatened total global financial stability. Right. So the Fed did an emergency rate cut. And we actually went back and read through the Fed minutes at the time. And at the time, even Greenspan was arguing that he didn't see any immediate impact in the market or in the economy. They were like, we don't see any feedback loops through the economy. Everything looks fine, but Greenspan says in the minutes, quote unquote, but the market has collapsed and that has me concerned. At that point, the market was down 14%. So I would put that comment, this is kind of a side comment here, but but I would put that comment kind of on the side of people that say that our, the Fed does care about stocks because that, that, that would insinuate that they do care, right? There's all, well, the Fed doesn't care about the stock market. Mm. I, I don't look, I don't believe in the plunge protection team. I don't think the Fed's out there making certain stocks go up. But to say they don't care about the stock market, I just think there's way too much evidence to point the, you know, Greenspan right there. Call a 14% move down was a collapse in a hot market, in a hot economy. So the Fed was forced to cut into rising inflation in a hot economy. Well, in the midst of all this, as inflation is going up again, not going up crazy, right? No, we're not panicking. <clears throat> financial conditions have loosened massively. Stock market looks like, uh, you know, you're seeing crazy price action and moves in the stock market, crazy valuations. The Fed even cited that recently, which kind of surprised me, was Fed staffers in the recent Fed minutes. Fed staffers made comments about elevated asset prices and possibly posing systemic risk. 
or financial stability risk, I believe is what they said, because it's not systemic, but it is, you know, financial stability risk when valuations get too high. And so I believe, I, 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 I should probably look back on this again, like we do it on our Bloomberg terminal, but I believe that that was the only time, like almost like in modern financial history where the Fed hiked into, or excuse me, cut into rising inflation in an economy that was running that hot. Well, let's look at our setup this year, okay? And, and we've talked about this a lot, but I just want to make sure everybody understands this. They're going to keep talking strong economy. And I, I'll just say what I keep saying. I, I, I don't disagree with the, when they're looking at certain data points saying it's a strong economy. I don't disagree with their interpretation of those data points. I just think it's a silly comment to make. When, when, when you're spending, when, you, when you're running deficits of 7%, the economy is going to look pretty good. Right. Like, so I actually look at the economy and I can sit when I consider the deficit spending and everything that's gone on, I actually think it looks pretty weak. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's weak. I'm saying in context of how much money is being poured into it. Like, meaning I look, there, there is a hole in the bathtub. There's water all over the floor, but you got a high flow faucet that's pumping twice as fast. It's kind of the way that I see it. So I don't disagree with the hot economy folks, but my point is look at the market, you know, blasting off new all-time highs, despite all the issues, despite interest rates, despite all this stuff, credit card delinquencies, car loan delinquencies, all that other kind of stuff. And I think it's important to point out that those things are not, you know, the whole economy isn't going to roll over because too many people get their cars repossessed. The question is, is why are they getting their cars repossessed? Right, that's that's the more economic. But just because people are getting their cars repossessed, I think a lot of people went out and bought stupid stuff. Young people were given money that they never had before. Went out and bought cars they couldn't afford. You know all those stories, right? We can't we, we can't dig too much into that. But what is fascinating is that you've got a commercial real estate coming down, uh, issue coming down the pipe at you, and I just don't see any way around it. It's it's I there's going to be a lot of defaults in commercial real estate, like we've been talking about, or. The Fed's got to step in and do something. Well, what's something that they could do? If they could cut rates, bottom line, if the Fed could cut rates at all, you wouldn't see as many defaults. The problem is, is if that occurs, it's kind of reminiscent of 1999, isn't it? Supposedly, the underlying economy is hot. Inflation's rising. You got all these things. You're in the midst of this incredible asset run and you know what I believe is a bubble. All these things comp, and then right toward the end of it, a rate cut. Boom. Now, I can't tell you for sure. Again, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell you for sure that's going to happen. But when you look at these setups, when when you look at the issue coming down the road with commercial real estate, I don't think it's as big of an issue or potentially systemic issue like long-term capital management was. But it's going to put more of a strain on the banks that they – you know, that they did the BTFP for like last year. So again, you know, they did it last year, Bill. You you think they're going to let those banks just eat that bad paper? I, I have no reason to believe that they would do that. Especially consider those banks aren't in the best position. And, and then when you saw the response, you know, how all that money was getting sucked out of the regionals, you get a couple of these things folding up. If that's going to start all over again, and that's where the banks get double whammied, right? Because they're they're you know even if even if the loans they're holding, even if that commercial paper they're holding doesn't go down, if other properties start dropping, good luck selling it. Nobody wants it, right? It's the hot potato. So now those banks that just dodged that last year, now they're getting pounded again. And I, I don't see any reason why those dynamics won't play out again. Not only are the assets holding, you know, that they're holding getting beat up, but capital's going to flee. It did last time. And, and why wouldn't it, right? Like the Fed has told you, and this is one of the perverse natures of what has gone on in this country, in the financial, the Fed has told you, we've got one class of banks that we're not going to let fail. The other class, you're on your own. Now, they weren't really on their own. They bailed them out. But you, you've got this two-tiered banking system that makes no sense. 
the the way the two tiered banking system is set up, it I, I can't help but to look at it and say eventually you're pretty much it looks like you're just guaranteeing the failure of the regional banks. Because every time a crisis hits, everybody knows the big boys are backed up by the Fed. So that's where the capital is going to fly to. So they're going to be getting hit on their assets and their balance sheet at the same time that deposits are fleeing. And so I just look at this situation. I'm like, I, I just can't see a scenario in which the Fed gets out of this year without having to inject liquidity or, or hit rates, cut rates. And if that happens, whew, I, I mean, I just, I, I think that you've got to, you've got to prepare yourself for that possibility as crazy as it sounds. And how do you do it? And we've talked about this, but you know, you, I mean, you can have false bravado and you can sit there and believe to yourself that you're going to be the one that dances through the rain and doesn't get hit by a drop. Okay. But that ain't a strategy. That's a dream. That's a wish. I'll tell you what we're doing. We're focusing on a core of the portfolio that is by nature defensive, that is income producing. And the great thing about it is you can find a lot of that stuff really cheap. You can even find stuff like that that's really cheap and buying back a ton of stock. You can even find stuff like that that's really cheap and paying 4 to 5% int- uh, um, uh, dividend yields. And I'm talking really stupid cheap. And then what we're going to do, we're working on this right now. We're working on approval. I mean, we're, we do this anyway in the portfolio, but because of this craziness, because of this level of craziness and this incessant upward push, it's just not as efficient. And so we're kind of switching things up a little bit, but here's what we do. Then we use options and we tail the hedges. Or excuse me, we hedge the tails, tail the hedges. We hedge the tails, meaning use Small amounts of options, we're only buying them, not selling them, which means we do not have unlimited liability. We wouldn't push that kind of risk in our clients' portfolios. But what it allows us to do is sit on a core of very solid, very responsible, very good valued stuff. And if we position those tail hedges correctly, it allows us to keep up. But we just have way less capital at risk. And then Usually, and not all of it, but when something like that bursts or a big market break occurs, usually it's that income, really solid, you know, blue blood, um, I, you know, fortress balance sheet, solid dividend paying stuff. It can go down. Everything can go down, but it's just not going to get hit. Usually, sometimes in market things, though, you know, it's kind of like utilities. Those things can actually go up. Point is is that we should be able to do that. We, we, we should be building a portfolio that is both extraordinarily durable, throwing off a good amount of cash, but is also hedging us on both sides. So if this blast off does happen, we can keep up or get close to it. We probably won't outperform, like I said, because if this occurs, it's just madness and everybody's just panic buying all the time. And it's pure emotion. And there's just, you know, in environments like that, if you're a disciplined investor, you're automatically at a disadvantage. Because you're looking at factors that nobody else cares about. And I'll tell you what, guy, I mean, if you got a better, if you got a better solution, I'm all ears. But I really see because here's the other thing. Well, do I, you know, I was having I was having this conversation with a younger client of mine. Well, was act, maybe we should just sit on the sidelines, get out of it. I go, no, 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 you're way too young. I go, we're not gonna have this portfolio positioned in a way that you can get catastrophically hit. We're not gonna have that much risk at place. The risk we're gonna run. And I have no problem saying this out loud. The risk we're going to run is underperformance. Why? Because in investing, whether you know it or not, you're always embracing one of two risks. You're either embracing the risk of financial ruin or you're embracing the risk of underperformance. When you manage retirement money like we do in a crazy environment like this, I have no problem embracing the risk of underperformance. And if our clients don't like it, we're probably not the place for them. Why? Because these... Things have never ended differently. And I can't tell you when. Hey, here's the other thing. Like I said, remember a difference with this is the way the government's spending. If I don't see any signs they're going to stop. We need to be prepared for this getting way crazier. And if it does, most likely inflation's going up. And you guys know this. There's only one way to protect yourself against inflation. You got to make more money. But we can do that without risking catastrophic loss. 
We can do that while still memorializing the gains of the biggest bull market in U.S. history that hit you right before retirement. If you are sitting there without a risk management strategy or a net underneath you, please stop. Whether it's from calling us or calling somebody else, why do please? You've had a beautiful run into it. If it keeps going ballistic, we can set you up in a way that you can keep rolling. Maybe not quite as fast, but you can keep rolling, make some great gains. But you're not risking your life. You're not risking your life savings. You're not risking your retirement. We only get one, guys. And so many folks are out there gambling right now. I I told you earlier about the 90-year-old guy put me all in NVIDIA. Come on. Wake up. So many folks out there know that things are screwy, and yet you're sitting in the same portfolio like a deer caught in the headlights. Remember, guys, this old adage, when you don't make a decision, one will eventually be made for you. The Fed is in that same decision situation right now. And whenever you wait and a decision gets made for you, it's never as good as the decision you could have made when you had the chance. So start making that decision by picking up a phone and giving us a call, 866-779-RISK, and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boardcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Stick with us. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Do better in bull markets. Do better in bear markets. Pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, The Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com. How many times in recent memory has your financial advisor not reacted to current events and also not made a change in your investment portfolio? Now, think about all the volatile events during that time that have threatened your retirement. That's Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Todd, we talk about it all the time. Risk management. It's our number one focus. We actively manage every portfolio daily, looking for opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. Let us show you how Bulwark's risk management strategy can protect that retirement you've worked so hard for. This is exactly why you need Zach and Bulwark Capital in your corner. You only get one retirement. Learn how Bulwark does it with their free common sense investing guide. Call 866-779-RISK or simply go to knowyourriskradio.com. That's 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advisory services offered through Tech Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you for sticking with us. Okay, one other thing that I want, we got a quick one here. I've only got about three minutes left. One of the other things I want to tell you guys is I have talked, and I just, I want to, I want to say this to make this clear. Um, I have told you guys how much I've liked, well, Lately, right, right in the last year, I've told you how we were buying bonds for the first time ever. Um, all of our clients are in short term, so uh, we're still getting really good yield off it. And the short term bonds, um, you know, just aren't as you know, you just they're just not nearly as risky. You might get hit a little bit, but if you hold them for a while, they end up just going. You know, they're going to come bounce back anyway. So we're still going to hold those and and play the income off it. But if you are playing for, I, I think interest rates are real tough right now. Okay, and I would be careful if you're buying bonds. I don't think that there's a need at this point to go out more than two or five years. Um, I mean, I I will be shocked if rates are not meaningfully lower at some point this year. I, I don't really see how they can be, or or I don't see how they can't be lower. But. I, you got, there's just nothing given in this environment. There's just nothing given. There's just nothing you can hang your hat on. I, the, the crosswinds and the, and the conflicting messages and signals, there's just too many. Um, if I, you know, and this is pure speculation on my point, but you know, I do think yields will be sub to what degree, who knows, but I do think they will be significantly lower at some point this year is significantly 75 basis points, 100. I'm not sure. I think that depends on things we can't really see. You throw the fact that it's an election year in there. 
It's just it's just a really complicated tape, but but here's why I warn on it. And I this is just a hunch. Okay, so take this with a big old cube of salt. I mean, I don't know if salt comes in cubes, but whatever. So a big old lump. One of the reasons we're being safe on rates is it just feels to me like the Fed's not going to cut till they have to. That, that's that's what I would believe. So in that event, let's say that you know those commercial real estate defaults start pouring in. Maybe a bank gets in trouble. All of a sudden, the market panics a little bit, and the Fed doesn't step in and cut rates. And then I think you could see a scenario where yields explode higher really quick. If that were to happen, I'll probably change my tune and want to buy that breakout. But if I think that breakout's got a really good chance of coming, might as well wait for it. Hopefully, we're not wrong. Hopefully, we don't miss it. But I just think there's some downside risk. Anyway, we got to go. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. How many times in recent memory has your financial advisor not reacted to current events and also not made a change in your investment portfolio? Now, think about all the volatile events during that time that have threatened your retirement. That's Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Todd, we talk about it all the time, risk management. It's our number one focus. We actively manage every portfolio daily, looking for opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. Let us show you how Bulwark's risk management strategy can protect that retirement you've worked so hard for. This is exactly why you need Zach and Bulwark Capital in your corner. You only get one retirement. Learn how Bulwark does it with their free common sense investing guide. Call 866-779-RISK or simply go to knowyourriskradio.com. That's 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advisory services offered through Tech Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor.